Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Whiskey, Grits, and Honey. Uh, Corey here, and I'm here with my two best friends, Jonathan and Caleb, and we're going to discuss the New South, uh, some of the new things that are happening in the world, and just some current events. Thank you guys for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. You waved. Yeah, I did. I know they can't <laughs> Caleb waved. I was like, this is not a video format. I mean, it's just me being me. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'll let these two gents introduce themselves. They're pretty awesome. Are we supposed to introduce what we do or Not just quite. our general life? Uh, you can go as far as you need to. We're going to touch on like what you do a little bit okay. later. Okay. I'm my name is Jonathan Wright and I live in Providence, North Carolina. Ooh. So I'm not quite in Danville, but it's okay. I still not can. elite enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not in that club. But yeah, I've lived in this area my whole life and um yeah, and I love Jesus. That's where we're going to go. Yeah. I love Jesus. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Caleb, it's your turn. Okay. Well, I'm Caleb. Um, I have also lived in this area my whole life. I'm from Caswell County as well, but I currently live in Chatham. Um, Jonathan and I now go to the same church. I also love Jesus. Yeah. And um, I've known Corey for about three years, and we actually kind of somewhat work together. So Nice. Well, I well, guess we that works together. for me, too. Yeah, yeah we, we all did work it. together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was super exclusive. You were like, Jonathan and I go to the same church, but Corey and I work together. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Ooh. See, look, he's starting off already. This is going to be so fun. This is. Oh, I love it. This right. is like predestination Taco Bell all over Ooh. again. That's how, oh. that's how Caleb and I met was I was discussing like a biblical theology with a friend of mine. And all of a sudden I just heard this Did you ominous voice. Yeah. From a booth How next to me, and he's just like, "Y'all talking about this?" And I was like, "Yep." And, he, and so he just came and sat down with us. I was like, "All right, that was," and that was many years ago. Yeah. Yep. Oh well. <laughs> I'm like not shocked at all. <laughs> all right, so let's rewind five or six months ago uh, when COVID hit. We went on lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an essential worker here and then a couple of, well, I consider it essential, but like non-essential workers. So let's start with that. Uh, what's it like being an essential worker in these times? Well, it's not really all that great um, because I'm like the forgotten essential worker. Oh. Um, I need like a You know, button. like, I mean, like, I mean, EMS and yeah. nurses are like, Oh, they're on the front lines, blah, 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 blah. And I mean, they are, and I'm not discrediting anything that they do, but if banks closed, there would be no more America. So we are also essential, but we kind of just get overlooked. But it is what it is. Yeah. I I don't overlook you. I value you, Caleb. I appreciate that. We appreciate you a lot. I appreciate you too. Do you remember what you were doing when you first heard, like, that we were going to lockdown? Sort of. Um, I was <laughs> I was deciding whether or not I was going to try and buy pl- hockey tickets or not. <laughs> and, the decision was made pretty um, quick for you. <laughs> I, think, I think MLB canceled spring training first. And I was like, it was me and my wife and my cousin, his wife. We were talking about buying hockey tickets. And I was just like, yeah, this... They're not going to play Saturday. <laughs> That's this is so, a wise decision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. 
Jonathan, what was it like for ministry, like hearing uh, that things were like shutting down and like the world was turning upside down? It well, it was weird because so like they at first were kind of on the edge of like, do we call churches essential? Yeah. And then they actually ended up they were like ministries are essential. Mm-hmm. And they were like because of the amount of things that they do in the community. Yeah. And also the. Uh, I mean, the mental health repercussions yeah. of it, too, yeah. as far as, like, if you take people away from their faith. It's like therapies. And yeah, like, like and, and counseling and all of that. So they, they did end up saying it was essential, but then they, like everything else, have kind of limited what that looks like. And so, you know, for me, it ended up becoming that I, I became a television producer. Oh. <laughs> like, it was pretty... <laughs> I saw this. Uh, I saw this T-shirt actually that said "2020, the year I became a co-video producer." Ah. <laughs> and I was like, I like that. But um, yeah, teaching to a youth group over a camera and trying to keep contact with all of them and like help them with stuff, and they're all confused with what school and their lives look like, mm-hmm. and it ended up being pretty weird, honestly. You know, like my Sunday mornings turned to me by myself in a room with a computer like streaming and yeah. I was like well happy Sunday <laughs> <laughs> it was real weird for a while yeah. um, I can imagine the energy shift too because you're used to like a room full of people and now you're just stuck behind a screen just like adjusting volume and right yeah. well it was it was definitely an energy adjustment I I ended up I mean it was weeks that I worked every single day just yeah. because you you have suddenly a new thing happen and we were like okay how do we reach this community during this you know what about these kids that aren't able to get like lunch anymore at school yeah. like we need to be able to provide lunch for them how mm-hmm. do we do that how do we contact the members of the church so that they can like help put that together and so we can get that done so it in a sense like tripled the work and uh, so that's yeah. like awesome yeah. because it's a way that you can like spread the gospel and talk with people mm-hmm. but it also was really exhausting for a while. I can only imagine. So what other adjustments did you have to kind of make as like restrictions came upon and like things just shifted? Yeah, I mean, you know, at first it was a, you know, a 10 person gathering limit. Mm-hmm. So we do small groups and, and so we were kind of like, all right, small groups you can still meet, but just be wise, like meet outside if you can. Like we wouldn't suggest meeting inside your home. We like opened up different parts of the building that were bigger. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we ended up doing. We went only online for a long time. Yeah. And then um, it ended up actually in Virginia that um, a guy sued the government from the church, which was like a weird moment because he had been fined for gathering. And Technically, in the Constitution, there's a thing that you cannot stop assemblies. And yeah. Like, and so he basically was like, "That's you can't say that. And so within like two days, they were like, all right, 50% capacity. <laughs> like, we'll go with that. Yeah. And everyone was like, all right, cool. But then it became, how do you balance, um, you know, obviously people are afraid. Mm-hmm. How do you address that fear? without encouraging a ton of fear. And then you also have in the church, just like anywhere else, people that are like, I'm never gonna wear a mask. And like, if everybody's wearing one, I'm upset. And then you have this other, it's like, 
I'm only going to wear a mask, and if I see one person that's not wearing one, I'm upset. And so you're like, all right, well, this seems like it's just a no-win situation. It's like mediating between that. Right, and so mediating between that, really encouraging, like, you need to wear a mask. And if they show up, you're like, well, we're not going to, like, turn you away, but we're distancing people out, like, and... So yeah. a lot more to your workload than like, yeah, like sanitizing the chairs between services yeah. and stuff. Like it's, um, yeah, it just really changed to a different workload than it was video content. So, what about bank life, Caleb? How did that change for you? Ooh. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, most lobbies are closed. Which, you know, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't be surprised if in the future it's something like that. Um, just because it's really, I mean, you know, we did, okay, so the lobbies are closed still. They were open for about a month. Um, and then when the cases in Danville spiked again, they closed again. But um, during the time that it, they were open, you know, there was no public announcement about it. And it was really just a fear that, like, okay, well, as soon as people start finding out, they're just going to flood in here. And... I mean, you don't need that. Um, and really, it's just been pretty much drive through only unless you make an appointment if you have to do something inside. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, as far as somebody coming in and cashing a $20 check, like, those days should probably be over. Right. That makes sense. I mean, we did all three at one point. Like, Corey, you were at the bank. I was yeah. at the bank. Caleb, you're currently at the bank. Yeah. I say the bank like it's one big bank. Yeah. We were at different banks, but uh, the church, but the bank. Yeah, <laughs> oh, um, be. But yeah, I can imagine though. Like, it, it, I was thinking about it actually when I went to the bank the other day. How things are probably like stacked up way further because you only have so many like drive-through lanes, and you know inside you may have like ten teller windows or six teller windows. What, I, was, what, I said 10. What, I was like, I'm sorry. I forgot we were in Danville. We have 10, 10 teller windows. Well, I, I don't know. I was just thinking about that's probably super stressful to try to work down a like a drive through lane that only fits so many people because it kind of bottlenecks in. And maintaining like really good customer service, getting right. them out like in a decent time and all that stuff. I do have a question for Caleb. Do you th are people being like consider it in as a whole that or was not actually my next question <laughs> oh nice um man like you know it's really odd but there are different areas of just danville that are just so different like the mm -hmm. clientele is different like i mean you got i mean you have a couple branches where they're just extremely rude and impatient and then you got a couple other branches where just the customer base is just very patient and it's just amazing that in such a small town like there's different ideologies in certain parts of town yeah that is strange just like common human decency and how just like different regions are affected yeah yeah hmm so we hit a little bit on like some of the like new rules and laws and restrictions and stuff. Uh, can you guys talk about how like wearing a mask and social distancing has affected like your day to day life? You talked a little bit with like ministry and stuff, but well, I mean, I talked to very few people, so it really hasn't bothered me that much. <laughs> um, 
Or this you is know, typical no, seriously. I mean, seriously, other than just wearing a mask, going into the grocery store after work, I mean, my life really didn't change that much for the first couple months. Um, I, I don't know if that's a bad thing or not, but I mean, you know, of course we couldn't eat out, but what, Corinne and I had gotten used to eating at home anyway, so mm-hmm. I mean, really, I'm used to small settings, so it really hasn't changed that much to me. Um, the whole mask thing is really the only difference, and that's not even that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Like I, it's it, again, you, you kind of heard me talk about like yeah. the when you're dealing with a like congregation of the church, you can end up with. Well, you end up usually with two camps on almost anything, mm-hmm. but you, I might get a little deep here. No, so it's fine. Like, you know, here we go. I told you, <laughs> I warned you. So, like, with the mask thing, you may have people that are, especially in the church, that are like, this is all a conspiracy, like, the masks, they're out to get us, like, I'm never going to wear a mask, you know. And then you have the other side that's like, wear a mask and maybe they're like even almost overly aggressive about like if I see a person not wearing a mask like they're dead the ones you just like shred people to pieces and right yeah it's like you've got two camps yeah on either side and it's really weird especially in the church because it's like we here's here comes did you say camps camps yeah that's a good you like the I'm word for I, it? Yeah, I didn't mean to Church cut you camp. off. No. <laughs> I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, just imagine that there are two camps, and it's like 20 degrees outside, and like everybody's dying of frostbite, but they refuse to go to the fire, which is in the middle of both camps, <laughs> Ooh, where, it's like, where it's like, hey, yes, masks are important right now because they could be, in fact, saving lives, but at the same time, you can still worry about yeah. the government trying to yeah. be yeah. like... Authoritative, and, and and that's there's, kind there's of where I am. Yeah. Is I, when I look at the the mask situation, and when I look at you know the quarantine, anything like that, like like as Christians, we're not called to be rebellious in a lot of ways. As a matter of fact, we're called to be more submissive, almost in a way that is shocking to people. And I mean. That's 100% true, but, but we, don't like, we don't like to think like that in we America don't. because we have been rebelling for 250 years. So why That's stop what we're now? built on. Well, yeah, so why stop now? I, I keep kind of mentioning this to people is like the, the American church is kind of in a tough spot of like how – what are you going to value more? Are you going to value – a value. Are you going to value your freedom in Christ more than your American like freedoms? Or are you going to value your American freedoms at the same level as your freedom in Christ that you're already given by being a believer? It's almost like which one are you actually worshiping? Right. And then there's been this blend for so long of if I'm a good American and I fought and I like really hold to all of the American freedoms and I and then they that makes me a good Christian. Mm-hmm. And so they like morph it into this whole thing of like, if I'm super patriotic, if I love this nation to a point of idolatry more than God, then that makes me a good Christian. And so it's like you've got this, you do have these two camps of people that are either 
100% like I'll do anything that I'm saying. I'll roll over to whatever is told. And then you have the other side that's like, I'm going to be ridiculously rebellious, but you're not called to like either of those. Really, you're told to respect those that are in authority and obey them until it crosses the line of where God's authority is. Like if man's authority crosses God's authority, you go with God's authority. But like in a situation with masks, you're like, I don't see a scripture anywhere that's like, if the government makes you wear a mask due to a plague, like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like God gave us brains. Like yeah. we could, we sit there and we're like, okay, like I'm using the Bible and I'm trying to make the wisest decision possible. And right now, like there are people that are scared if I can help them by like wearing a mask and making them feel more calm. Sure. Like if, if it comes across as I'm being like more submissive to authority while still being in the guidelines of the Bible by wearing a mask, like that's fine. So like I, I wear a mask wherever I go not even necessarily because I'm afraid of the virus, but more because I'm trying to set an example of this is a Christ-like thing for me to do. Does that make sense? That's perfect sense. And okay. <laughs> y'all are like flowing right through my questions. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Good job, Kelly. <laughs> so also during quarantine and the pandemic, we've seen the rise of like racial tensions with mm-hmm. where this happened with like George Floyd and Ahmad and Breonna Taylor and this other... Uh, members of the black community. Um, where do you see ministry and just your day-to-day lives kind of stepping into that? Well, ooh, okay, so. You can unpack that if you I need might to. have to go, I might have to go deep again, Caleb. You're gonna follow me in, okay? You're coming in with me. All right, so when we look, so I'm gonna state my world for you here. Okay. All right, you ready? That's fine. So like, as a Christian, I believe that obviously Jesus is God. Jesus' mm-hmm. sacrifice paid for the sins of everybody. And when you believe in him, you are then put into his family, right? And we also believe that the Bible is inerrant. Like it's mm-hmm. God's word and like everything that we read in the Bible is like applicable for today. And so we also, from that, we believe in moral absolutes and not relative truths. And so we run across a lot of times where when we look at the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say against racism. And really, in, in reality, a lot of other worldviews don't. Like, it's just being straight up, like, you see a lot of other religions divided into classes based mm-hmm. off of incomes or divided, like, you were born into this this is now how you have to live because it's already a like caste system, right? Yeah. And it's like you see that in other other world religions, but when you look in the Bible, that's the only religion that really states like you have value because of the fact that you were made in the image of God. That's that is the value of you as a person is that you're made in God's image, mm-hmm. and so like. Even take, for example, I did some research. Look ah, so came prepared. <laughs> I did. We have, when we look in, let me find it. i got to find my note. All right, hold up. Where is it? Caleb, do you want to say something before I dive into this? You finish. You want me to finish? Okay. I don't want to, like, hog it. I'm looking for it. Yeah, in Acts. Okay, the book of Acts, chapter 17. All right. That's a book of the Bible. If people are wondering and they're listening, they don't know. Book of Acts basically is all about the church being formed, mm-hmm. like after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so, 
there comes this time when Paul, who formerly actually was a persecutor of the church, he hated Christians, he killed a lot of Christians, all under the disguise of, like, this is something good that I need to do. And basically, let me find here. Paul, he gets saved, and he starts helping build the church, and he ends up in Athens in Greece. And so when he ends up in Athens, he, he shows up, and he sees this altar made to the unknown god because they had a lot of altars and a lot of different idols and statues and stuff. And so this is what Paul says. He was like, I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, and I found an altar on which was inscribed to the unknown God. And then he says, therefore, what you're worshiping in ignorance, I'm going to tell you what it is. So he's like, you're saying you don't know who God is, and I'm going to tell you. So he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in your shrines made by your hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he's in need of anything. So he's basically saying, like, God is all sufficient. He can take care of himself. He's not someone that is needing human care. Mm -hmm. And then he said, he gives life to everyone and breath to all things. He made every nationality to live on the whole earth. And so right there, you're seeing God, like, purposely created every nationality. And he even goes further. Paul talks about, like, the fact that every nationality has its certain differences. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and God made all of that. And so that's, like, why we need to value it. And then later... In the book of James, we see, he says, James says to some Christians, he's like, Brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to your faith in Jesus. Because if someone comes to you in your meeting and is wearing a gold ring or dressed in fine clothes, basically like a different class or like someone that you're more comfortable around, and wearing a gold ring and clothes, and then a poor person comes in, if you look with favor on one wearing what you like, and say to them, sit here in this good place, and yet you say to the other person, stand over there or sit on the floor. Haven't you made distinct distinctions among yourselves and shown favoritism, which is an evil thought? And so right there, it's just like straight up in the Bible, like if you're showing favoritism between different people, like it's an evil thought. Yeah. And so as the church, when we look at these things of racism, like we have the ability, and, and Caleb, I, I think you would agree with this, the church, as Christians, we have the ability to look at racism and be like, it is wrong for this reason. This is the specific reason that it is wrong. And we, that's grounded in moral absolutes and the fact that we believe that absolute truth comes from Scripture and from God. So we can say that with confidence, where a lot of other worldviews would have to try to dig a little deeper than you're like, but don't you divide people up in this? And they're like, ah, yeah. they don't want to talk about that. you know, But... That's my thought on it. That part. Racism is bad. And the cure for it is Christ. Like, we can try really, really hard forever to stop anything that is evil. But in the end, it, it comes down to a heart problem. And there's even a scripture that says, like, people who are unbelievers, like, think the morals of scripture and the morals of God are stupid. Like it literally yeah. says they think that it's foolish. And so when we go to other people who don't believe scripture and don't believe the Bible and we're like, hey, racism is bad because it's creating God's image and they're a racist, like 
why why would they change what they believe if their heart isn't changed by Christ? And so that's the goal of it is not necessarily immediate social change, but the changing of the people's hearts so that the society changes with that. So the gospel is still the forefront of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I told you I was going to go a little bit. I agree, Caleb. <laughs> Caleb, please, take it. I'm sweating. <laughs> Pass the mic. Please, take it, Caleb. Man, I, I'm nervous. Don't. <laughs> um, I agree with everything that you said, Jonathan. And, um, you know, the, the three examples that Corey brought up, um, especially Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor is just heartbreaking. Yeah. And, you know, it, like, yes... I mean, if I got in an argument with a, somebody in Danville who's a cop, and just, he's like, oh, blah, 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 the boyfriend admitted shooting first. Well, you know, if people were breaking down my door and I didn't know who they were, I'd probably right, shoot them too. Right. Um, so it's just, I mean, it's extremely heartbreaking, and I do think that there's still an issue with racism in this country. Mm-hmm. However, I also think that the media is hyping it up and is specifically targeting targeting certain cases and not necessarily presenting straight facts um but they're sparking a emotional feel and it's in the bible i mean it's literally what happened to jesus christ Jesus Christ was murdered. Who was not white, by the way. Right. I will go. Right. He was not white, but Jesus there were no. I don't think there the were Nazis any. Was... I don't think there. Were, I don't think there were any white people in, yeah, there were. in Jerusalem right. two thousand years ago. But hey, who knows? Um, but no, he wasn't. Um, but you had a religious sect who valued their traditions and ideologies so much so that they they killed a guy beat (laughs) and crucified the only man who could walk around and raise people from the dead and I mean at even one point like when the resurrection of Lazarus they tried to kill Lazarus because Jesus brought him back to life like I mean (laughs) and I, I just think that like there's no new thing under the sun. And it's not, racism is an issue and it is the issue, but it's an attack on human life because that's what Satan does. Right. That's what he's always done. I mean, Moses had to be lifted in a, into a basket floating down the Nile River to escape murder. Jesus had to flee from his home country to escape murder from Herod. So, I mean, humanity has always been attacked by humanity, and it's, like you said, it's not going to end until the second coming of Jesus. And, and, but, you know, and that doesn't mean, though, that we don't strive for it. Right. But what it does mean is, if this is going to sound really grim, I'm going to say it. I wouldn't expect any less from you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a positive guy. I told you. I was like, I'm a positive guy, but I might drop the hammer. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't strive to see that change happen. Like, you take, for example, you do see in the Bible, like, 
Stephen is an example of that. Stephen, he was a disciple of Jesus, and the guy was striving to see people's hearts changed. And he was preaching the gospel, and he was constantly confronting them on their sin. And you know what happened? They didn't change, and they killed him. And it's like, at the same time, it's like we strive for that change, but then also we look in the Bible and we should see, like, we should be prepared for humanity to disappoint us. That's the grim part. And, and I think a lot of us want to see society in a positive way and not be like, oh, man, people are, like, depraved and they're, like, going to... Without God, they're, like, capable of terrible evil. But it's like, that's exactly what it is. Like, it says in Scripture, our hearts are deceitful above all else because we like to deceive ourselves. And so you've got a bunch of, like, racist dudes out there that are like, yeah, this seems like a good idea. And, you know, that's in their mind. They're like, this this makes sense. And or it's like, like, in the name of my country. Or, right. Or, yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. and they there's always an excuse. And that's because our hearts are are usually very evil and are like, I want to excuse myself for my own selfishness. And and so for for us to look at like racism, we see all of these really terrible killings that happened. Like we look at them and we're like, this this is gonna this might strike a weird nerve. But like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the, yeah, like we see the the guys who like killed George Floyd and we're like that was evil right and we see those guys but at the same time God loves those guys just as much as he loves us and that's the guy's that's it sucks though to think about yeah. sometimes because you don't understand it and you're like I don't want I don't want God to love that guy because I don't love that guy. We sort of take justice in our hands like, oh, this right. person doesn't deserve as much of God's love because they did this cruel and inhumane thing. So. Right. So we try to take something that is completely God's justice and we try to take it and put it into our standards and our society. And it's like, of course we're going to ruin what social justice looks like because – what else would humanity do we to have something our own that's God's ambitions, and we try to take it and morph it and just right because and and that's what you see in other societies too, something that starts from a good motivation, and then ends up that you know let's say it starts with let's let's take for example you look at the protests, protesting that's a good thing. Like, I like protests. Are you, like, reading my agenda? Cause no. You're going, like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no you're I, good. I'll stop it's, talking eventually. No, it's a great transition. <laughs> you look at the protests, and you look at, like, what it means. You know, take, for example, my brother's a police officer, and he's like, I don't mind a protest. He's like, I'm fine with it. Like, that's all part of actually being in America is that you can protest. But you take something good, and you will always have a few people that will take something that is meant for good and they'll be like, what if I took advantage of this for my own selfishness? And so you have people that will like bust out windows and steal a TV and you're like, and the way to ruin, good, like, yeah, like way to ruin what was trying to come across because it's like, what else would you expect from people who are depraved? Yeah, because people are naturally selfish and evil. Right, and it sucks, but yeah. you're like, that's just how it is. Like, you need Jesus. <laughs> There we go. I'm done talking. I'm going to pour some apple juice. Go for it. Caleb, do you have anything to add on? Uh, 
I would, once again, I just agree with Jonathan. <laughs> it's um, always the safe bet. I no, told you but, it's perfect life. Um, <laughs> I'm not perfect, I will say. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't even remember what I was going to say now. Um, no, I, I think that, I don't know. I'm done. <laughs> we'll I like skip. it. So we'll skip and take a, a different perspective. Um, so I'd say kind of living in the New South, how do you think as Southerners or people who are living in the South where kind of these cases of like COVID's obviously like concentrated here, racial issues are kind of concentrated here. Like how do you think living in the South has been affected by uh, recent events? Ah, man, I mean. And considering like our quote unquote like heritage, culture, it's where the last Confederacy capital was. Hmm. I'm gonna let you do it. I talked too long. I'm supposed to just be mediating. <laughs> we might just um, let you take over. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want... <laughs> That's tough. I mean, for one, Minnesota's not really in the South, so I'll give you that one. Um, you know, and I mean, just this week there was a five-year-old little boy who was white who was shot in his yard by a black man. Um, so. It's tit for tat. Like I mean, it goes both ways, which is kind of what I was trying to say earlier. Um, I think that racial tension, racism in this country has gotten better over the years, but there is still a ton of work to do. And I don't think that... I don't think that there should be giant Confederate flags right. like flying in front of the only two entrances into Danville. But at the same time, if they're on private property, like that is their right to do. Um, I, I'm for 100% like eradicating the Confederate flag from like public buildings, unless it's a museum. History belongs in museums. It does not need to be erased. It belongs in a museum. Please put it there. Yeah. Um, but it, is a, it does not belong on... There should not be a Confederate soldier in 2020 in front of a courthouse that is supposed to uphold yeah. justice for today's America because it's literally, it's literally a re remembrance of division not even, I mean, it is racism, and, you know, the, the Civil War was about slave, slavery. Don't let, it, don't let anybody <laughs> yeah, tell you like, it wasn't. Don't, don't let anybody <laughs> um, it was about states' rights. About slavery. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was states' rights, really? but it was, it was about states' really rights really to <laughs> own people as property. Um, I mean, people, yeah, <laughs> you have the right to hold whoever you want to as property. Um, was what it was about. Oh, so, I thought you were saying I, no, I was like, no, I don't. No, <laughs> like, I don't. no I'm saying, yeah. Um, so, in 2020, the place where justice is supposed to be reigned supreme in the courthouse should not have a representation of one of the most divisive periods in American history in front of it. Period. And I agree. And what's tough about that, though, is that you're 
if this is going to be one of those like Christian moralism proposed, uh, like anyway, it, it almost like uh, what's the what's the term for it? I can't remember presuppositional apologetics things. Ooh. All right, so you end up if I look at you and I say why, and but I'm coming from a Christian worldview obviously, and I look at you and I say, why shouldn't that be there? And let's say that you're not a Christian. What is your reason for it not being there? I mean, I, I gave it. I'll give it again. But I'm saying I, without a Christian worldview. Me? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying play along. Play along with me, Kate. Oh, okay, so... Let's pretend. I mean... <laughs> let's pretend. I, get, I know exactly where you're going to go with right. this. But, I mean, you would... I would say because of what I said, you know, you can't have a representation of division right in front of the place that is supposed to uphold unity. Right. But it, then the thing is that I would look at you and I'd say, but why? What's wrong? If that was considered right at one point, does right change? Or do people just mess up their view of what wrong and right are? All the time. Right. So All that's the, the point. Is like we make, we make those statements. You can look at me and you can say, this is wrong for this to happen because it's able to trace back to your biblical worldview, just like it is with me and with right. Corey. Like you're able to go back and you're able to say, that's wrong for this to happen because we have a standard set. And we believe that like moral absolutes are set in place by God and that there is no relative truth. Truth is truth. And the reason for that is that you have these morals set that are given by a moral lawgiver. Right. But with when you take the moral lawgiver out of a situation, you take God out of the situation, you can you can make almost anything permissible. Yes. Like and I that, mean, I mean that's where we live. If you and that is trace it back to like Nazi Germany, like Hitler thought what he was doing was good. He had an entire society around him that was like, "This is good." So in that sense, Hitler nationalism. Now I'm scared. No, it's, but I'm saying, I'm saying that like. Hitler, if you're going off of like morals come from society's standards, well, Hitler had a whole society that agreed with him that an entire population was not worthy of living. Blind followers. Right. You had blind followers, but the thing is that if you're not arguing from a Christian worldview, you can't say that he was wrong. Hmm. Because you don't have a standard for it. You don't have a basis of morals or truths. Right. Because at that point, you can say, well, it made him feel good. It was fine for him to do. Because a person could argue that. Falsely. They have the moral compass, yeah. But from a Christian worldview, you can look at it, you can say, obviously it was wrong for him to murder people and for him to base that completely off of his own selfish desires. But if a person pulls God out of the picture, they can excuse literally anything they want to. Because at that point, if it makes you feel good, which is a humanistic standing... If it makes you feel good, then it is good for you to do. And it's so ironic because the South is also part of the Bible Belt. Right. Yet, like, we're still debating these views mm -hmm. to the same. That's because most of them probably aren't saved. Whoo! <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry. I'm sorry. What's the two points? I'm sorry. I told you. No, you yeah, have, you're not no. used to me talking. Why are you, why are you apologizing to me? I don't know. I was, no, I wasn't apologizing. Wow, well, that sounded sorry. terrible. I'm like, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so kind of a wrap-up question. What has the pandemic and quarantine kind of revealed to you? Like personal growth things, like personal lessons? Hmm. Oh man. Um, so back to like the very beginning conversation. Um, and I'm actually kind of glad that I get to like bring this up to the world. Nice. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, church, hmm. my, um, my wife and I, um, we left a church a couple years ago that um, we really shouldn't have left. And the reasoning was, the reasoning was kind of just, I mean, just some, it was a bad time for the church. It was a bad time for us personally. And we kind of just. Life, being, life gets in right, the way. Right, and we were kind of just being selfish. And, you know, for two years we've been looking for a church. Um, and I mean, I've even come back a couple times just to say that I made my peace, but I don't really know that I had. Um, and we were going to, we had actually decided like two months before um, COVID-19 that we were going to commute to my brother church it's about an hour from our house and we were like you know we were dedicated we were going to make the commute every single week and we were faithful to that for two months until um the rona so um, once once um all the lockdowns came into place it really just um sunk with me that you know we're not really going to be able to ever get to know these people because we live an hour away, and now you can't have more than 10 people in a room, and we don't know when we'll be able to have more than 10 people in a room. So really it was just, you know, how can you serve like that? How can you build relationships like that? Because, I mean, that's basically what life is all about. In the Christian life, especially, it's about building relationships with people so that you can share the gospel. And if you, I mean, how can you do it in the situations where you live an hour away from where you worship and you're in the middle of a pandemic? The answer mm -hmm. is you can't. Um, so really just rather quickly, I think the Lord kind of just um, changed my heart and I brought it up to my wife and was just like, I think we need to go back. And she agreed. And we've been going for like two months and mm -hmm. we're going to get involved in a small group again, which is the whole reason why we, well, which is the whole reason why I left, but it's also the reason <laughs> that I'm coming back. It's kind of <laughs> weird. It's kind of weird how that works. Like, um, like a full circle effect. For, yeah. for those of you out there that are listening that may or may not be a Christian, um, I know that Christians suck sometimes, <laughs> but that's because they're people too, and I'm one of them, 
Um, and my hope and prayer is that just through the coronavirus, everybody would just be humbled just a little bit um, and realize that there's really no escaping and absolutely nothing is promised. So maybe people, not, not even from like a Christian standpoint, but just from like simple everyday life, like if you, if you don't take things for granted and you don't know that tomorrow is promised, you might actually be mm. more kind to your neighbor. Mm. Yeah. And I've noticed that in my own life. Um, not specifically my actual physical neighbors because I don't even know who they are. <laughs> that's just that's just where we live right now in this world. And I mean that's that's bad. I'm not excusing myself, but just I think that I think that the world has slowed down enough for people to realize that there's things in it other than themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I like your point about the um, kind of like being like you're not promised tomorrow because that's a, like a biblical concept too of like, I think it's Proverbs where it talks about a, like a person being wise when they number their days or like they take notice of every day because it's that's something I've, I've kind of been learning but kind of thinking about a lot too especially when I think about my own wife I'm just like how, how do I spend my time am I valuing my time with my wife and with like the other believers I'm just wasting my time watching another show or like something like that but trying to yeah this is a great point trying to gain that wisdom of loving others because you're like there's a whole lot more going on than a lot of people think about and numbering my days and like it's kind of a bummer sounding like I'm numbering them but well like being intentional with like yeah, the time that you have exactly yeah. yeah that's probably like my biggest takeaway from like all that's going on like we've been essentially stuck in the house for five months like you really learn about like yourself how you treat others like right. say it, and just like how you view the world so yeah well thank you guys for getting on here this was a great yeah. conversation yeah it was fun yeah. sorry I said so much no it we just went along with we it. We just too. went with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of glad you did. That way I didn't have to ramble as much. Uh-oh. I appreciate you. Now, I will say, I think that this could be another thing. I will say, I think the other thing that Part I've two. been learning before we leave is, like, I'm learning what a Christian's role in politics looks like. Ah. And, like, how much of that there is. Because it's kind of interesting, like when Jesus showed up, like everybody wanted him to be a political messiah, and they yeah. were mad, yeah, because he he wasn't. They were so mad they killed him. Yeah, that's that, <laughs> and, and they they were well, they were mad about him claiming to be God too. But then they were mad because well, yeah. they were like, we were expecting someone who was involved in politics. Yeah, and in I, things that I'm evaluating in my life, like how much am I eternity kingdom minded as opposed to a temporary kingdom here like mm. how much do, which do I value more 
you know, do I value my my rights or like what America looks like more than I value the person that is separated from God that's yeah. like two doors away from me. Mm-hmm. Like which one do I care more about? Like their eternal soul or do I care more about my momentary comfort in the moment? And nice. what I find is like we're not as believers promised comfort. Mm-hmm. We're promised the opposite. We're promised that it's going to suck sometimes yeah. and persecution and which we have no idea what persecution is in America. I will yeah. say that. Like wearing a mask is not persecution. You can put me on you can put me on the record for saying that. But just looking at other believers in other countries too that man like they they understand they they really grasp more than American Christians especially in the Bible Belt do um, being kingdom minded not earth earthly minded so that's that's what I've been kind of learning more about is like because you hear so many political tensions, oh, yeah. and you're yeah. like, "Where do I stand on this? You know, am I conservative? Am I a liberal?" And yeah. So now I've gotten to this point where I'm like, if someone asks me that question, I say I'm a Christian, and I base my worldview on the Bible. That may fall in different areas, but like that's what I'm basing my worldview off of. And so that's something I'm trying to learn, and I sometimes suck at. <laughs> so, hey, like you say, we're human, and it's yeah. a learning process for us. So yeah. anyway, I did have to get that in. I was like, Well, thank you guys for joining me and thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode.